the word. All right, that's what we're about to do. I just want to, I just really briefly, I just want to say one more time for Rhonda, Vincent, if you're thinking about maybe that you might want to be a part of helping cook this next year on Wednesday nights, uh, it doesn't mean you have to come here every Wednesday night, it just means every once in a while you'd have to come here and help out. Uh, she needs some help with that. And you can meet her today right after church. And if you've got other plans today, you could call her later today or tomorrow or sometime this week and check in with her. Because I believe that this is one of the best things that happens at Gateway Church of Christ is getting together on Wednesday nights to eat a meal together. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And you're missing out on the very best part of Gateway Church Christ. It is awesome to get together. And that's where fellowship happens. That's where we share some of our uh, struggles and... and, and uh, Anyways, it's awesome. So if you have a little bit of a talent in that area or some time and availability, please go to that meeting today or talk to Rhonda Vincent. We are in our series called uh, Man Versus. Man Versus. And we have been using this boxing metaphor. That's why we have these boxing gloves up here and, and this banner that Sophie made for us. Uh, we've been using this boxing metaphor to talk about our fight against sin. We, we get to be a part of this, engaged in, fighting against sin. And we've talked about some of these up here. And I know if you're at the back, it's difficult to see some of these. But we've talked about fighting against couch. We've talked about fighting against money. We've talked about fighting against resentment or envy. And we talked about fighting against self or pride. And, and so those have been good. Those have been good studies. Some of them, I think, people have said, you know, wow, that, was, that got me to think. And I'm glad, glad that it happened. I'm glad we had that conversation. Uh, but I, I want to say this, today's topic comes with a lot of shame and guilt. It comes with embarrassment, because when we fail in this particular area, it's, it's a personal area. And so it's a subject that we normally avoid, and certainly we avoid it at church. No way are we going to talk about that at church. And so before we even get into that subject, I want to start today by reminding you of the gospel. I want to remind you today at the very beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. God loves you. God loves you just the way you are today. And you know yourself. You know you're a mess. I mean, you're here and you're dressed up and you're acting like everything's okay, but you're not, okay? You're all messed up. You got problems. You got weaknesses. You got sins that you struggle with. And God loves you exactly where you are today. Exactly the way you are today. He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And none of your sins have ever surprised God. Not one single time did He ever go, Oh, whoa. I mean, I sent my Son, but I, wow. I didn't know that was going to happen, you know. He's never done that. Not one single time. Jesus, God, God knew what your sins were, that's, and he wants to be with you. That's why he sent Jesus. And Jesus, his attitude is, he gave his life on the cross for you with joy, the book of Hebrews tells us. He gave his life for you with joy. And when he did, he won the war against Satan. The war is victorious in the name of Jesus Christ. However... You and I still have battles to fight while we live here on this earth. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who has really just given in to a temptation and really kind of given up at this point in, uh, in life. And this person said this to me as they talked to me about giving up and just giving in to this sin. They said, I finally got to a place in my life where I realized this. I know that God loves me no matter what I do. 
And they're using that statement as a way to sin more. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't know how you feel about that little story I told and that statement, but I totally agree with that statement. That person is exactly right. No matter what that person does, God will love that person. But God wants the best for that person's life, for your life, for my life. God wants the best for the people's lives around us and for the kingdom of God. So he doesn't want to leave us where we are. It makes me think about if you think of a, maybe a, a kid a, that had a hammer, 8, 10 years old or something, and, and this kid hits himself in the knee. And, you, and then you look, you're like, oh no, what happened? And they hit themselves in the knee again. And, and you, go, you go over and you say, stop that. Stop. You're hurting yourself. And then if they said, oh, it's okay, don't worry. My mom and dad still love me. Well, you know what? I bet you're right. I bet your mom and dad still do love you, even though you keep hitting yourself in the knee. And I bet they want you to stop hitting yourself in the knee. I want you to know that this lesson today is not meant to heap any guilt or cause any shame. The Holy Spirit is quite capable of convicting you and me of sin. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. And that is enough. This lesson is meant to encourage you to keep fighting the battle against sin and not give up. Our lesson today is going to be, I would say, maybe rated PG-13, perhaps you might say. I'll just say that, and I don't know what age people are in here or what age you act or what age you're comfortable with, but I'm just letting you know. We're going to talk about some things that are about rated PG-13. Today we're considering an opponent that is one of the most formidable of all the opponents we're ever going to face. Lust is a heavyweight. Lust will make you think when you're in the ring with him that you're in control. It will toy around with you for a few rounds and let you think that you're winning. And then when you least expect it, it throws an uppercut and puts you on the mat and puts you down for the count. And that one devastating punch could be the coworker that's a friend that you could just talk to and they really listen to your problems, but lust seems to be now using them to put you on the mat. That devastating punch could be the text message that led to intimate connections and inappropriate meetings and now your marriage is on the ropes. That devastating punch could be websites that you clicked on just one more time that now leave your family ducking, hoping that it's not going to take you out. Make no mistake, we're talking today about a cunning opponent who wants nothing less than to destroy us for good. So let's pray, and then we'll look to see what God's Word has to say. God, I, I just beg in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit would teach us today. I pray, God, that you would uh, help us to believe that you love us. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to believe that you forgive us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe that the Holy Spirit can make us more like Jesus. And I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We'll start today with the scripture that's on the screen, James chapter 1, verse 17. It's been one of our theme verses for this whole series about man versus sin. 
Every good and perfect gift is from God, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. God gives us all these good gifts in our life. And so I have to ask you a question today. Is sex good? Kind of a... <laughs> One married woman says, yes, it is! Woohoo! Lucky Chad. All right. Sorry. Was that you, Toby? I don't know who that was. I don't know who it was. Sorry. Sorry. Now, see, see, none of this was in my notes, and I, I just want to leave now. I'm going to go, let's just say, in Jesus' name, let's go eat lunch. I promised myself I would not leave my notes, and I'm not going to do it again. Here we go. Okay. Is sex a good? Is, is sex good? Well, is that a trick question? Yes or no? Yes and no? Well, you know what? Let's compare it with fire. Is fire good? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. You know, if, uh, if you're talking to a person who, who perhaps they have lost their home in a, in a fire, some of you have lost your homes in fires, the answer is no. If you're at the hospital and you're talking to a burn victim, no, fire's a bad thing. But if you're talking to someone who is freezing to death until a loved one brought a cord of firewood over and helped them start a roaring fire in their fireplace, then the answer is yes. A place where they could warm up and warm their toes and, and, and be cozy and, and, yeah, it's a good thing. So is sex good? Well, the answer is yes and no. Sex in the context of marriage is one of those gifts from our God that James is talking about. God gives us good gifts and sex is one of those. We have examples in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they're the first man and woman and they're in the Garden of Eden and God obviously gives them sex with one another as a married couple in the beginning and then he says it is good one whole book of the bible the song of solomon is dedicated to celebrating sexual love between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life some of the most erotic poetry i've ever read now i don't make it a habit to read erotic poetry but i'm just saying that's that's really strong language in that book if you've never read it you'll be surprised Here's what Proverbs says right here. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the street? Have sex with, having sex with just anyone. You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. pretty strong blunt language some of you are thinking i don't think you ought to be saying that in church i didn't say it in church god said it in church all right so you have to deal with him it's his word inside of marriage in that context sex is a good thing look at what proverbs says about sex outside of marriage can a man scoop fire in his lap without his clothes being burned can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched so is he who sleeps with another man's wife no one who touches her will go unpunished. Wow. The Bible uses this idea of fire. and says if you are taking this outside the context of marriage, you're going to get burned. See, the devil, he takes any good gift that God gives us and he just twists it. He changes it just enough. And Jesus calls him a liar. 
Jesus says the devil distorts stuff and he lies about it and he twists it. And I want to just give you three lies real quick that the devil has told us about sex. And here they are. Here's Number one is this. Let's try and get this thing to work. There we go. One partner is not enough. The devil has convinced a lot of people of that. And yet this is God's ideal. This is God's plan. One man for one woman for life. And it's the best. Now, obviously there's forgiveness from God if, if we mess that up. But that's the ideal. This is what God planned. And this is the best way. One partner is enough. The devil has also told us this. Sex is all about me. In other words, sex is gratifying, and so I, I want to be gratified. I want to feel good, and so this is a way for me to feel good, and so it's about me, and it's about what I want. And, and by the way, it's not what I want someday. It's what I want now. I don't, I don't want to put off or, or delay or wait until the appropriate time or be patient. None of that. If I want this, I want it now. Those are lies from the devil. And then also, sex is what life is all about. Sex is a part of life, a good part of life, a gift from God. But the devil tries to tell us, and people that are stuck in lust begin to believe this is what life is all about. I remember when I was in college, a friend of mine, his, uh, he was dealing with sexual addiction in his own life. And he went to a counselor and and he was beginning to understand that this was passed down from his father and his grandfather, maybe even his great-grandfather. And he told me in his family, his grandfather was famous for saying, any day without sex is a wasted day. See, that's a guy that's listened to the devil and let the devil twist to, for him to think that, that life's all about sex. That's a lie. It's not true. I think a great place for us to start in the Bible here is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's read some of these verses. You can turn there if you want, or you can look on the screen. Verse 1, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. Live this way. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember we taught you what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I just want to say this. This is God's word we're going to look at today. This is not just some goody-two-shoe preacher's opinion, you know, some conservative view about life or the church's stance. This is on God's authority. And so you'll have to deal with what God has to say about this today. Verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. And God doesn't say stay away from all sex. And there are many people that are Christians who actually believe that. That, that you're supposed to, you know, the way to be the most holy is is to not be sexual, to deny that part of life. But God doesn't say that at all. God says, if you want to be holy, stay away from sexual sin. And then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. So you got sexual sin that's outside of marriage. And then in marriage, sex is holy and honorable. I don't think we normally think of sex that way as holy sex is holy and sex is honorable held up i I think we have this idea like god really doesn't like sex i mean he he really can't stand it but then when we get married he kind of makes okay go ahead i guess i'll turn my back go ahead okay you finished right now i'm back okay i'll come back and be with you again all right 
This is not the picture at all biblically of God. The picture biblically of God is that God is with us. It's that He is pleased when we have healthy sex with our spouse. You want to make God smile? Go have a great sex life with your husband or your wife. Then he says this. Don't live in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Some Christians try to separate out the body and the soul. The body is evil and the soul is good. Let's escape the body and just have this spiritual relationship with God. Let's reject our humanity. We don't want to be human. But see, here's the problem with that. God made us human. And when he made us human, he said that is good and part of being human is our sexuality and paul here is really not calling for us to deny humanity he's calling for us to embrace humanity and make sure that every person that we look at we never ever turn that person into an object ever that we always see people as a human being with hopes and dreams and fears and feelings and that we think about their spouse or their spouse that they will have someday Never mistreat another person, but lust always turns people into an object instead of a human being. 1 Timothy 5, 2, Paul makes it even more clear. He says, guys, I want you to treat women this way. Younger women as what? Sisters. Older women as what? Mothers. That's how I want you guys to treat women. Would you want someone turning your sister into an object to be used and thrown aside? Would you want someone just abusing your mother and not letting her be all that she is no then you treat people the same way and then he finishes up this particular passage with this god has called us to live holy lives not impure lives therefore anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not is not disobeying human teaching but is rejecting god who gives his holy spirit to you thank god he gives us his holy spirit to help us with this because it is a serious serious battle Paul says it this way in Colossians, put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Paul says, I want you to kill lust before lust kills you. This is a fight to the death. And so I want to spend the remainder of our time as we finish up today with five counter punches. Boom, we got to stay in this battle. And so we're going to have to be able to punch back a little bit. And so here they are. They all start with C. Maybe that'll help you remember them, except the last one. Four of them start with a C. So here we go. Here's the first one. Make a covenant with your eyes. Be careful what you look at. Remember that little song? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. And some of you might be saying, oh, John, come on, what's the big deal? You know, you're, you're, just, you're being ridiculous. I, this, is, uh, this is kind of a popular thing I've heard all my life from guys. I don't know if girls say this or not, but I've heard guys say this all my life. I'm only window shopping. I'm not buying anything. I'm just looking at the menu. I'm not going to order anything. Come on, John, what's the big deal? I'm just looking around a little bit. But Jesus explained the big deal in the verse that Frank read to us this morning in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, what does Jesus say to do? Pluck it out, gouge it out, and throw it away. Now, I've had people ask me, and I've thought about it myself before, was Jesus being literal right then? Man, I hope not. Because there's going to be a bunch of us bumping into things, if that's the case. 
I think what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying this is serious business, what you do with your eyes. I like the story of one guy. He was in the mall with his wife, and, and this younger woman caught his eye, and she was kind of dressed sort of skimpy, and as she walked by, caught his eye, and he just watched her. Watched her walk by all the way down the mall until he turned and his wife was sitting right here. And she just looked at him and she said, was she worth the trouble that you're in right now? (laughs) Because that's where it starts. With that look and then just staying on whatever it is we're looking at. There's a great principle that I've tried to put in, li- in practice in my life and other friends that I've talked to about this and friends that have, we've helped each other in trying to be holy and honorable in this part of our life. And it's the principle of letting our eyes bounce. Letting our eyes bounce. Because we're all going to see somebody like that. That person that we go, oh, wow. And I wasn't looking at anyone over there, by the way. That, and that wasn't in my notes either. But anyways, we're going to go, oh, wow. And then, and then immediately, eyes bounce. Bounce somewhere else. Find something else to look at right away. That's a great principle. Maybe that's what Job did when he said in Job 31, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. And so can we. He did it and so can we. Now some of you are here today, maybe you've already broken this covenant with your eyes. In other words, maybe you're in the habit of using your eyes every single day to lust. Lust is the idea of being locked in on something. And it's a habit. And it leads to deadly things like adultery and fornication and betrayal and lies and wrecked homes and children separated from their parents and isolation and so if you are one of those people that's locked in today in with lust is there any hope i mean can you break that how many of you ever seen the dog whisperer on tv the show the dog Whisperer? raise your hand all right a a few of you okay if you haven't seen it it's it's a cool show you ought to watch it sometime it, uh, this guy's name is Caesar Milan, and this guy's amazing. He's incredible. He, uh, th- this guy will, will go, and there's a dog. Somebody calls him, and the dog is misbehaving. And the dog just gets locked in on, on something and takes off running. But as soon as the dog gets locked in, the dog whisperer, he goes, <sniffs> and then the dog is locked in and starting to go, and then the dog looks back at him. And sometimes when the dog is misbehaving, he's right beside the dog. Maybe the dog's growling or going to bite somebody. And right as the dog's starting to do that, the dog whisperer goes, and hits him in the side, like that. And, and it shocks the dog, and the dog kind of looks back up at him like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot, I was locked in for a second. Okay, oh yeah, I got it, okay. And, it's, and you know, I was thinking it'd be cool if we could just get like the dog whisperer to follow all of us around. That's what we kind of need. You know, we see somebody, and we get locked in, and he goes, you know, hits us in the side. Oh, oh yeah, okay, that's right, I forgot. We kind of need that guy. In a sense, we, we have that, don't we? If we're a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that's what he's trying to do when he's trying to get our attention. And so what would be our response? The second counterpunch is confession. Confession. We just need to agree with God. When the Holy Spirit, when we start to look and the Holy Spirit goes, and we, oh yeah, we need to agree and say, oh God, I, I just, I, I was lusting. Or, or I wasn't lusting, but I was tempted to lust. I almost started lusting. You're right, God. I, okay, thank you. I want, I want to be a holy person. I want to be honorable. We need to agree with God. And I encourage you not to try this on your own. Not to try this by yourself. 
I am thankful for men in my life that have let me be accountable to them. Let me talk to them about this in my life. And, and I don't, I, you know, some, some of you, I don't know. I look out and I, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm not as old as some of you and I'm older than others of you. And, uh, and, and some of you, you know, I, I've thought about this sermon. I thought, you know, is this sermon just going to be like a lot of people going, oh, you know, man, this is a long time ago in my life. You know, I don't know. But I, I've talked to some men that are decades older than me and just ask, you know, when does this temptation, when did, when did this temptation go away for you? And one of them said to me, John, I'm, I'm old. I'm not dead. Okay. So find somebody that you can talk with about this and confession can be healthy to share this and and pray together about this so the third one is this those are the first two the third one is take your thoughts captive take your thoughts captive this is how paul says it in second corinthians 10 5 we take captive every thought and make it obedient to christ see at some point you're going to have a lustful thought Someone's going to walk by and you're going to go, wow, well, take that thought right at that second. Take it captive. Grab a hold of it. No. You're going to have a memory or you're going to be alone and you're going to be tempted to fantasize or whatever it is. Capture that thought and wrestle it down to the ground and say no. We've got to be on guard with our heart against this. For some of you, if you're locked in, it's going to take a little bit more work to capture these thoughts. And I'm suggesting a book. I don't do this very often, maybe a couple times a year. But I'm going to suggest a book to you that's been helpful to me and many other people that I know of. And that's the book, Every Man's Battle. And the one beside it is Every Young Man's Battle. I recommend if you've got teenagers, teenage boys, that, uh, that you read this and then that you give this to them or read it with them. I think that's a great idea. But this book, Every Man's Battle, why is it, tattle, why, why is it titled Every Man's Battle? Well, because it's sort of every man's battle. And, and I, I know that both men and women struggle with lust, but the Bible really emphasizes this for men. Jesus spoke to men in Matthew chapter 5. If a man lusts after a woman, he has committed adultery with her in, his, in every one of the translations that's gender specific. Because this is pretty much a universal struggle for men. We don't like that. We would like to pretend like that's not so. Once you get baptized, oh, there we go. Now I never have a lust thought again. But it's just not the case. It's not true. And so I, I want to encourage you men, if you're struggling with this, we put some of these copies of this book back in the foyer. They're on a, they're on a bookshelf back there. And if you want to grab one on the way out, you can just grab one. We put a little basket there. If you want to put 10 bucks in there, that would help the church a little bit. But we're more interested in helping you. You get one of those books if you need one. And read this book because some of us need to take those thoughts captive and wrestle them down and spend some time working on this struggle in our life. And then remember, this is a battle. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not just if you have this struggle that it's, well, you're a bad person and it's all over. No, it's a, it's a battle. It's, it's a process. It's a temptation. And don't beat yourself up for being tempted. Do you know that Jesus, the Bible says this, Jesus was tempted in every way just as you were. Now, I don't understand that. I, I, you know, I'm not going to try to unpack that in this sermon. I'm just telling us what the Bible says. Jesus was tempted. Don't beat yourself up for being tempted. Just decide, I'm going to take every thought captive. Whatever it takes. Maybe it's reading this book 
Maybe it's doing something else, but capture those thoughts and replace them with better thoughts. We can't just capture the thoughts and just be blank, have nothing. So replace these thoughts and these habits with other good desires. Maybe it's hobbies or ministries, but it's also just nurturing your deepest desires. Because I know this, if you're a Christian, you may have conflicted desires. You, you may have some lustful desires, but you have conflicted desires because you also have the desire to be holy if you're a Christian because God put it inside of you. And you have the desire to be obedient. And you have the desire to have integrity and have a family and have intimacy with your husband or wife and, and to be pure and to leave a legacy for your family. And here's the fourth one. Magnify the consequences. Usually we minimize the consequences. Oh, that's never going to happen to me. Oh, that, that'll, you know, that, that's somebody else. That'll never happen to me. You need to remind yourself that full-grown sin becomes death. Look at what James says. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Wow. Death. We need to magnify the possible consequences. I just want to go back for a moment to this illustration of the fire that we talked about a few minutes ago. The fire in the fireplace. That in the fireplace, this is a good thing. And so sex inside of marriage is a good thing. It's a gift from God. And I just want to, with a little bit of fear and trembling, I just want to talk to the wives for just a moment. Okay? So let me just say a couple of things. You know this. There's big consequences if your husband gets locked in and gets knocked out in the ring by lust. You know that already. But I want to ask you a question. Are you helpless? You're just sitting by and you're like out of control. You're like, well, hope he gets this one right. Hope he doesn't screw this one up. That'll mess our family up. Is that, is that the case? I want to tell you something about your husband. If your husband is truly a Christian, I'm not just talking about somebody who goes to church occasionally or got baptized when they were 12 or something. I'm saying if, you're, if your husband is really a Christian, born again, has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, he's imperfect, okay? I got that, but he's a Jesus follower. If that's your husband, if that describes your husband, then I want to tell you some things about your husband. God has put some desires in his heart, and here's what some of them are. He desires to keep himself only to you. God put that in him. He wants more than anything to only look at you. He wants that. If your husband is a Christian, he wants desperately, he wants desperately to think only about you. But here's the deal, ladies, wives. You are not helpless standing beside. You get to help keep the home fires burning if you will you get to help keep that going right there at home in the right place in the good place that god gave this gift but i want you to know this if you throw water on the fire every time he tries to start a fire in the fireplace at home i want you to hear this very clearly today he's going to be tempted to think about other fires i think sometimes wives think if i throw water on this fire It'll go out. It ain't going out. It's not going to happen. God made your husband a sexual person. And it doesn't go out. It just gets moved. And it's not fair 
for wives to want a Christian husband who doesn't look around, who avoids lust if you are not meeting his needs at home. I'm just looking to see if anybody's going to throw anything and nobody has yet. This is how Paul said it right here. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. You can look it up in your Bible or you can read it while I'm talking. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul basically says this. Wives, this is your responsibility. Your body does not only belong to you, it belongs to your husband. I didn't say that. God said that. You've got to deal with that. Now I'm going to talk to the husbands. All right? Husbands, listen to me. Some of you husbands are like, you're just sitting there thinking, Oh, I hope my wife heard what John said. Please, dear God, let her hear what he said. All right? Well, you stop thinking about that now and listen to me, husbands. Listen to me for just a moment. If your wife is not taking care of your needs, that is not a license to lust. If you're thinking, well, yep, he said it, and that's right, she doesn't meet my needs, so I can go do whatever I want. No, that is not true. You do not get a pass on this. You are responsible to God. And I want to tell you something. God will help you with this. So keep, don't don't give up. Keep trying to start the fire at home. Try something new. Try some romance for once. How about that? Get some flowers or go dancing or get a bottle of wine or take her out for a nice dinner. Do something romantic. Try something less selfish than what you've been doing. Try and don't give up. Because God is faithful and he will help you in this battle. He's faithful to continue the good work that he started in you. And he's faithful to continue the good work that he started in your wife. So whenever we're tempted, we need to put a highlighter on the consequences. Is this really worth breaking God's heart? Is this really worth hurting my wife? Is this worth the damage it could cause my children? Is it worth my reputation or my health? Now, some of you might be saying, okay, John, all this resisting stuff, sound, I mean, it sounds great. It sounds great, but I'm telling you this, I'm a sexual creature, and I just cannot help myself. I can't. I can't do it. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to throw this back at you. I bet you can. I bet you can help yourself. I bet if your husband or your wife walked in while you were with that other person that you're lusting after, I bet you can help yourself. You guys out on dates, I bet if her dad opened the door when you were parked, I bet you could help yourself. I bet you could. If you were sitting with your child or your grandchild in your lap and you were tempted to click on something on the internet, I bet you could help yourself. You see, the problem for most of us is this. Lust tells us We don't need to resist. But I'm telling you, this is a dangerous, dangerous sin. And that brings us to our final counterpunch for today. And that is to run. And it takes us to the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. Most of you know this story. Joseph works for a man who's gone out of town a lot. And his wife, the the man's wife, his, his boss's wife keeps trying to talk Joseph into having sex with him. And Joseph resists, and he resists, and he resists, and he resists. And finally, this is what happens one day as the story kind of comes to its pinnacle. One day, however, no one else was around, and when he went in to do his work, talking about Joseph, the wife of the other man came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away. He left his coat in her hand. And he ran from the house. 
He ran away. He knew exactly what lust was throwing at him. And he could have stayed and he could have allowed that knockout punch to come. But he gets as far away as he can. And what's amazing to me about this scripture is that it's in Genesis. And 2,000 years after the book of Genesis, Paul is still writing to the people in Corinth. And look what he says. They didn't learn the story from Joseph. They didn't learn the lesson. Run away from sexual sin, Paul says. No other sin affects his body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now here's the deal, guys. The word run, that was in the Hebrew language back there, and it's also in the Greek language. The Hebrew is in Old Testament, Greek's in the New Testament, and it's kind of a hard theological word, but I want to break it down for you of what it means. And I don't ever want you to forget what it means, so I'm going to show you right now what the word run means. It means to run. He ran. He ran away. He ran away from He ran away from lust. He ran away out of the ring. He ran all the way out of the He ran out into the park. Almost ran into a car. He, he just kept running. He ran. And ran and ran and he just ran and ran away from lust. And running is hard, I'm telling you, as a 47-year-old. <laughs> I hate to run. I've always believed if God intended for us to run, He wouldn't have created bicycles. Anyways. Whew. I wanted to make a fool of myself by doing that today, because I don't ever want you to forget. There's time to run. There's a time to run away like Eric Little did in Chariots of Fire, like Forrest, like Tom Hanks did in Forrest Gump. It's time to run away like those people in the movie Jaws running on the beach, getting away from danger. There's a time to run. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out what it means to run. And there have been times in my life, in your life, when we didn't run. We stayed too long. We kept our eyes in the wrong place. We didn't capture every thought. And when that happens, there's always consequences. I don't know where your struggle is. It might be at the office. It might be a friend that's becoming more of a fantasy. Maybe for the next 30 days, you just need to run away from that person. Maybe for those of you who are dating... keep stepping across a line that you don't want to. Maybe you need to draw some new boundaries and just say, this is the boundary. And if after 30 days, if it ain't working, maybe you need to get honest with yourself and just run. Run away from that person. Maybe for some of you with your television or your computer, there's something you need to do to put, a, put it in a different place or confess it to somebody or put a filter on it. You need to do something to Run. And it's not just that we need to run away from something. We do need to run away from lust, but we need to run to something. Some of you need to run back to your spouse. Some of you need to run back to your family. All of us need to run back to a holy God who loves us. He's ready. He's ready. And one of the ways we run back, again, is this right here. 
Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Maybe you need to confess today, I don't know. I just want to encourage you with this final word. And it comes from somewhere in the Bible, Paul wrote this. Do not become weary in doing good. Don't give up. Don't become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. And then six words. If we do not give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit the battle. Some of you may need to talk to your spouse today. Some of you may need to talk to God. Some of you may need to talk to a counselor. Some of you may need to get that book. And some of you just won't be ready today. But I want you to know this. God is ready. And when you're ready, He's going to be right there to help you pick up the pieces of the mess that this sin makes in our life. And some of you have never made a decision ever in your life for Christ. And some of you are here today and you're thinking, I've been serving lust and locked in and stuck in this for so long and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow Jesus. And if that's you today, you confess your sin, you give Him your life, you ask Him to be the Lord of your life, you come find me and tell me that today and we will baptize you into Jesus Christ this morning. Take that step across that line toward God. Whatever your need might be, we're going to have shepherds here to pray with you. Let's stand. And let's sing.